0: It's, yeah, it's it's hard. This journey is definitely hard, and I will say it's been worth it. Also, just meeting people from USA Cycling to other athletes around the world. You know, they don't see me. Oh, that girl with diabetes. I want to be known as like that's an awesome bike racer. Oh, she has diabetes too. Yeah, it's just a part of who I am. But I've always been a bike racer way before I was even living with diabetes. So I just hope to. To reach more people and doing that with my team and sharing that message of, of hope and inspiration because really as simple as it is, it's, it's really what I needed when I was diagnosed and I didn't have it. And now that I do have it in my life, it's definitely helped.
1: So many of sport's greatest stories are about overcoming. And often these stories play out very visibly on the road or track. However, On today's episode, we take a look inside a story of overcoming that plays out behind the scenes. This is the career of Mandy Marquardt, a member of the US National Team, Team Novo Nordisk, and an athlete with type 1 diabetes. Hello and welcome to another episode of Put Your Socks On. My name is Angus Morton, and today I'm joined by Bobby J. Mate, how you doing?
2: I am hanging in there, Gus. I have to say, this was a crazy week here in South Carolina. We had the remnants of Hurricane Zeta blow through a couple days, like in the middle of last week, and man, the wind was so strong, it just knocked down a lot of trees in the area. We lost power for two and a half days, which... I tell you, you don't realize how blessed we are to live in the US and to be able to go to the light switches and just flick them on anytime we want. That that two and a half days of not having power just made me think how how lucky we are. And it was it was crazy. But you know, trying to go riding was was difficult as well because there was just trees down everywhere, power lines compromised, road blockages, and there was really not that much you could do as soon as it got dark. And luckily, I was able to go to a friend's house and charge my devices at night. But yeah, it was crazy. And then, of course, you know, we had Halloween, and luckily, the power came back on for that. Um, I wouldn't say that Halloween was the normal Halloween that we've had in the past. It was the, the COVID edition of, of Halloween, I guess. We packaged a couple pieces of candy in a little plastic bag and then kind of threw them in each kid's bag, you know, trying to make sure that there was, there was no issues there. <laughs> but I have to say the, the kids were happy to be out there. Um, but I, I did kind of think, man, these poor kids having to deal with this is is kind of a bummer. I kind of went all in this year. I'm normally bah humbug when it comes to to dressing up, but I, um, I went all in with my costume. I was uh, the famous Joe Exotic, which feels like, man, that was years ago, but that was the beginning of of the lockdown when I binged that show and my wife was a tiger. So had a little bit of fun this year. How was your week and did you dress up for Halloween?
1: Mate, I did actually dress up um, being an Australian. Halloween's not as as big of a deal there, but uh, my girlfriend uh, is very into getting dressed up. And so we went as Mickey and Mallory from Natural Born Killers, which is an early 90s cult film directed by uh, Oliver Stone. And, uh, and, you know, with a story by Quentin Tarantino, it's it's a, it's a pretty heavy film. But anyway, we went as that. And, uh, to be honest, um, it was, it was nice. Like, I don't really think I've kind of done anything like celebratory since the beginning of the pandemic. We've been very, very sort of isolated as, as many people have been. So it felt good to do the dress up and kind of go through that whole process, to be honest. Uh, it was, it was a nice break. So yeah, I did get into it and, and it was a lot of fun. Um, outside of that, Mate, just uh, head down out here in Colorado. Uh, we had a bit of snow, and it's kind of it's warmed up this week. So done a bit of riding, and you know, enjoying the last last bits of warm weather before we, uh, you know, before I got to get the skis out and, and and sort of knuckle down into the ski season. You know, put in the work uh, behind behind the scenes. But uh, speaking of putting in work, Love Welter has been continuing. It's been a merciless route this year, and a pretty interesting uh, week of racing.
2: Yeah, it's been kind of crazy. We've had, um, you you can feel the season wi- winding down, like the Vuelta is the last race of the year. So here we are, you know, used to being able to watch, you know, two Grand Tours or a Grand Tour and the Classics happening at the same time. And, you know, that that end is coming. We're going to be going through some withdrawal here pretty soon. But the Vuelta has, has definitely been I- I- an exciting race. I mean, all the Grand Tours, you know, Truncated and smashed into such a small little time frame and they all seem to be coming off and being super exciting. We left off at stage eight and stage eight was won by Primos Rolick. There was a little bit of a question around his form after uh, I think it was stage six when he got a little cold there with the uh, dropping of the rain jacket. But if there was any questions about his condition or his peak condition this late in the season, or just, hey, was he, was he over it? Was, was answered because man, he, he put down a, a pretty impressive late attack there, netting him 13 seconds, 10 second time bonus, which I think netted him a, a total of 17 seconds. So it got him back to, to second on GC behind Richard Carpas.
1: It certainly was. It was good to see uh, Brodie back on the attack, and then in stage nine, we saw well. First person across the line was Sam Bennett, only to only after some deliberation to be disqualified and having that that win passed uh, over to Pascal Ackerman from Bora Hansgrohe. What are you? What was your take on that, Bobby?
2: Listen, Gus. I was never a sprinter, so I probably shouldn't weigh in very much here. But I personally didn't. Agree- agree with the relegation of Sammy B. Yes, we have seen some bad crashes in sprints controversies if you will, but I just don't understand how one of the Trek Segafredo riders basically quacking the guy that won stages of the Tour de France, won the green jersey, already has won a sprint stage in in the Vuelta just trying to quack him off his own lead out. I think, you know, yes, it is coming to that end of the season where guys need to win races, and let's just say Sammy's not going to have to worry about his contract for next year. But, you know, there was a lot on the line there, personally. It would have been Sam's 50th win, and it would have been his team, to coin it Quick-Step's. 100th grand tour victory i think that would have been just you know the the little icing on the cake for for him this year after such an amazing season and you know they took it away but um that's my opinion how do you feel gus you're a little bit more involved in that sprint world than than myself
1: yeah look i i would agree with you although i can i can absolutely understand the ruling i think with the number of accidents in, you know, sprint finishes this year. I think there is definitely the need for safety uh, and the safety issues to be addressed and and sort of come to the fore. And I think part of that is riders' behaviour. And I think this is sort of perhaps sort of leaning in that direction. But I don't think that's by any by any stretch the major issue, and and nor um, the issue that needs to be addressed probably more quickly and that is with the finishes of the race and the organization of finishing routes and that sort of thing so i think there's a couple of things at play here and look to be honest like if it if it leads to the sprint finishes being more safe then i can support that type of a decision but there's definitely a fine line between trying to push the race to be to be more safe and then taking the win off of off of a uh of an athlete who was sort of you know, arguably within in their bounds. But, you know, it's bike racing and Pascal Ackerman, as he acknowledged, had the same thing happen to him uh, earlier in the season. And so there's definitely been notable kind of crackdown on that type of behavior. So swings and roundabouts a little bit there. Stage 10 and Primoz Roglic took the win here. An interesting victory, though. There was a time gap called that I think there was a bit of discrepancy about how they were applying the rules. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> you know, it, it turned out to be a protest um the next day because I was watching it on TV and I said, Wow, well, okay, there's no gap there, so Carpas will still have the jersey. Uh, I went out for a bike ride and I came back and I saw that actually Primos, uh, due to the three second gap, which was exactly the time that he had, he was 13 seconds behind Carpas. He got the 10 second bonus and then just happens to get a three second break in, in, in the group. Yes, Carpas did finish a little bit further back in 14th, but it didn't look like he had enough to to take that amount of a gap. And, you know, here we are with riders tied on GC again. You know, we had the, the Giro like this, and now we have the Vuelta, but it did spark off uh, a bit of a protest. And as we've s- saw in the Giro, protests in cycling don't quite work out so well. So I think that was, you know, brought to a front you know, by Team Ineos, uh, Grenadiers, and, and Chris Frome as kind of like the spokesperson. But being this time of year, after everything these riders had to deal with, I think they made their point and they got on with the race. And stage 11, it seemed like the GC guys uh, were keeping their powder dry for the, for the next day's stage 12 Lou stage. But uh, a very good win by David Godoux from Francis de Joux. He outsprinted sprinted Marc Solaire. Uh, for the win. That was nice to see David Gard- Gardu up there again because he was so strong in the tour last year in support of Thibaut Pinot. It was also a very good move by Mark Solaire to get another, you know, to get a minute back on the general classification and moving himself up uh, a few places. But for the most part, I think the GC leaders really just kept an eye on each other. And um, there we were with uh, the two top guys tied at the end of the stage.
1: Yeah. And another day, yeah, as you just said, that. With, with the leaders on the same time, which is such a um, a weird uh, a weird scenario, but makes the racing exciting, I guess. And stage 12, uh, the very revered Angry Lou, uh, one of the most famous climbs, I think, uh, in cycling. And a huge victory from Hugh McCarthy from EF Pro Cycling. I certainly didn't pick this at the beginning of the day, Bobby.
2: No, not at all. But um, I'm going to call him Huge McCarthy, not Hugh McCarthy. I'm going to call him Huge because what he's, how he's been riding since the beginning of the Tour of Spain has been very impressive. And this stage was not too long. It took them just over three hours, but they did five categorized climbs, finishing with, I would say, one of the most feared, if not the most feared and mythical climb in cycling, the the Angerloo. I mean, it's so steep that it was basically like watching an individual time trial go straight uphill because there's really little to no advantage whatsoever being in the slipstream. And um, just watching these guys, the best climbers in the world look like they're riding in slow motion through mud. It just got me thinking like, gosh, I wonder what gears these guys are using. So. I uh, contacted our old friend, Rod Ellingworth from Bahrain McLaren, and he said his boys were using a thirty-six thirty-two. I was actually surprised it wasn't bigger because, man, when you saw the gradients that those guys were having to hoof it up, um, I think I would have gone for a 36-46 or something like that. But in the end, the time gaps weren't as big as I thought they would be, to be honest. Karpas did scrape out uh, 10 seconds from, from Primos to... to Take back the red jersey going into the first rest day. But man, there's a lot of racing left. It seems to be narrowing down to a five horse race between Richard Carpas, Primos uh Huge McCarthy, Dan Martin, and, and Enrique Mas. So we'll, we'll see. I mean, we have the rest day today. The time trial follows that. Um, there's a little bit of a rolling breakaway stage on stage 14. Uh, stage 15, there's only category three climbs, but could be dangerous. And whoever has the lead on this day better have a strong team to control it. The next day, same sort of thing. Strong team has got to be a must in, in stage 16 and stage 17. That is the, um, I think it's for all the marbles. It ends with a horse category climb. Again, just a massively brutal stage to decide the, the Vuelta 2020. But then again, what else would we expect from a race like the Vuelta these days? And then, yeah, then it's the, the little run-in sprint to, to Paris on the final day. So before we know it, this race is going to be over. One of the, the main things that, that has just made this race so interesting from being, an American, a fan of American cycling is watching how strong Sepp Kuss is. He just seems like he's the strongest rider on the climbs all the time. So controlled and calm at the service of his leader. It just really excites me for the future. If he ever decides to take on a little bit more of a leadership role in the, in the grand tours.
1: Time will tell, but anyway, there is an exciting week of racing ahead in, in, in what is the, the last real sort of week of racing before the end of the uh, 2020 season. So yeah, I'm going to enjoy it.
2: And this week, and we'll probably have to talk about this a little bit more next week because I want to dive into it. The the Tour de France Route 2020 was released. Looks quite difficult. It looks like there's a lot of transfers in there. So that should be interesting. Some some bummer news, some mega, mega bummer news, actually was that it was announced that the Tour Down Under and Cadell Evans Great Ocean Road Race has been canceled. I guess the writing was on the wall for that because that's right around the corner and and maybe it won't be the the worst thing for the riders because I mean they're you know th- some of these guys are going to be finishing this weekend, and then they probably have a December camp and at that December camp, it's always broken up into teams that are just there to kind of get the base miles in and teams that are there to prepare the tour down under. And after such a hard end of the season, this may be a blessing in disguise. Although I know that the tour down under is pretty much everyone in the Peloton's favorite race of the year, because you know, you've know you been spending the, 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 the winter in, in cold weather, and then you get to go down there. The weather's fantastic. The people are fantastic. So it's it's a major bummer for the race promoters, the organization of those races, but at the same time, you know, maybe maybe it's it's going to help prepare the um the season 2021 a little bit better. And
1: speaking of 2021, that brings us to today's guest with 18 national titles, three US records including recently setting the US national kilo record, 10 UCI victories on the track and a name on the long list for the U.S. uh, national team headed to the 2021 Olympic Games in Tokyo, Mandy Marquardt's career has been impressive. To cap all that off, Mandy has achieved all these results, all whilst navigating the complications of type 1 diabetes. This month is National Diabetes Month, and so we decided to sit down with Mandy to get inside uh, the story of her career and how she has progressed through the various disciplines to be at the top of global track cycling. G'day, Mandy, how are you? Uh, welcome to the show. We really appreciate you coming on. Um, how are you doing?
0: G'day, I like that intro. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> how are you guys?
1: Doing really well, doing really well. I think today we kind of want to cover, well, we've had quite an interesting career in cycling for, for many reasons, but I think it would be worthwhile going back to the start. How did you find yourself getting into the sport of
2: bike riding?
0: Yeah I think that's always a really cool question just because everybody's had different ways of getting into the sport right so I grew up um actually in Germany I was born there I moved to Florida when I was six my dad is German my mom is American so we moved back to Florida where she's originally from they got me really involved and wanted in sports and wanted to get me out of trouble just because I wasn't any in any trouble but just to get me out of you know anything but um Yeah, I started swimming and running and I actually wanted to be a professional tennis player and I did that until I was about 10 and I got a stress fracture in my foot. I was also a little bit taller, pretty like 5'7 already, um, 5'5 and uh, yeah, somewhere around there. But, and I was playing girls that were a lot older than me. So yeah, I just got a stress fracture in my foot and I was like, oh, this doesn't feel right. And I mean, my parents were so supportive. They weren't like, oh, you have to do this. You have to do this. But I just was always one, like, I wanted to just be the best at whatever I was doing and just be my best. And so I just really loved competing. And and my dad, you know, was always active with me, running, swimming. I actually wanted to do my first triathlon. And we found the velodrome in Brian Piccolo Park in Cooper City, pretty much like 20 minutes from Plantation, Florida, where I grew up. And then it was there that I just really fell in love with cycling and met Carlos, Carlos Laborde and then shortly after Mike Frazee and they just really made it fun. And I competed at my first nationals a year later and it went really well. And I was like, this is so cool. Like I get to just like ride away and be free. Not that I was like escaping from anything, but I just loved how cool the sport was and how fun it was to really just bury yourself and and hurt in a different way and and it was just it was so cool to me at at around 10 years old already.
1: And you just sort of highlighted a little bit there, you know, you had success pretty early on. Can you talk a little bit about that early success and how that kind of, you know, was that on the road or was that on the track? I know you just mentioned you started on the track.
0: Yeah, so I went to road nationals and there I had more of my success. I competed in the junior women's 10-12 and I the first event that I competed in was the time trial where I won gold competing kind of in triathlons a little bit already then the time trial was something I really enjoyed. And then I competed in the road race. This one, my parents will never let down. And my coach, well back then Frazee that I was in the biggest chain ring going up the hill and I pretty much lost it by a photo finish. I broke away with one of the riders and um, I got silver and I was so mad and I was like redemption and then I went to the Criterion the next day and broke away Um, and back then it was cool like Kendall Ryan you know the Ryan sisters were in there we have photos Shelby Reynolds like and uh, Colin Gulick like we're all racing still together today not together but you know we're still all in the sport which is so cool but yeah I mean broke away and I don't remember this, but when I saw Freezy a couple of days ago, he said, I lap the field. And I was like, I laugh the field. That's cool. And yeah, it was just my first nationals. And I was like, I was, I was just like, this is pretty cool. I didn't know what that all meant. I just knew I was like competing against the best of the best. And I'm new. Um, so it was just fun.
1: And then tell me, obviously, you know, you, you go on to be diagnosed with type 1 diabetes. Um, I'm interested, you know, obviously, you're already very successful. As an athlete and you're doing well, I'm I'm interested to hear like how old you were and I guess how did that diagnosis come about and then what kind of happened sort of immediately post that?
0: Yeah, you know, you'd think like, okay, I, I just competed at nationals and I continue to compete at nationals. I actually just you know I got involved in like triathlons more. I was doing a a, a series down in Florida. I was doing track and field and cross country in middle school and high school. I was just really active and in a lot of different things. And my parents didn't really press like me competing at a, at a national level too much. And then a the biggest turnaround was when I was 14, my parents had split and my dad moved back to Germany. And that was so hard because him and I would be running before school. You know, he would be also taking me to practice, not that my mom wouldn't, but she was there. And, and really my dad was working. My mom would be taking me to training, cooking, like just being like so supportive, but it was so hard when both of them, when they split and I actually gained like 15 pounds and I didn't feel like doing anything. And I was just so unmotivated. And then my mom got me back into competing again slowly. And then I went to Mike Frazee's who like got my butt back into shape. And I really, I think I went to Argentina for a training camp with them and it was there. I was like, I want to go to Germany to race. And he was like, absolutely not. And I was like, why not? I think it'd be great. So, and I want to like go to Germany. So I ended up moving back to Germany and convinced my parents. It was a great idea. And they were really supportive. And there was a lot that happened in between then. I wasn't living with my father. I was living in a boarding house and would take myself to school and to training. But it was just like, I had to grow up pretty fast. And then I competed at the German nationals and won bronze in the 500 meter time trial. And, um, I just noticed myself struggling a little bit. Like there were days and even my crazy would say in my parents that I would like totally smash it. I would do so great. And then there were days that I was just like, I don't know what's wrong. I couldn't get out of my own head. Like I just felt really lethargic, but they were like, maybe, you know, she doesn't want to do it. They were actually really saying that I'm like, no, I do want to do it. Like this means a lot. I just don't know. I don't feel well, but it was kind of like little things like that, but I wouldn't look into it too much. Um, And they, you know, they didn't either, but it was, There, I was in Germany, riding for the state of baden wurttemberg and um, they took me to some routine testing, and I did VO2 max testing and blood work, and they said, Mandy, you're elevated, you have elevated blood sugars levels, and I was like, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Did I give myself diabetes? Did I do something wrong? Like, I've had, I've been an athlete all my life, and it was there that, um, yeah, I went to the hospital in Mannheim. The you know city I grew up and I was born in um, that I was diagnosed with type one. Here's another transition, and it was just like just learning how to just accept my diabetes. And and I met a doctor actually who was overseeing most of the doctors, and he said that I would never be able to compete at a high level in my sport. So I was like really taken back by it. I believed him. I thought like I was going to hurt myself by continuing to be at this level, um, wherever that level would would take me. Um, I wasn't sure. I was just just racing and I didn't really have any big, big goals. It was just like, I wanted to continue to just be the best that I can be.
2: Exactly. How old were you when, when you were initially diagnosed?
0: 16. So. 16. i yeah. be a kid and a teenager.
2: <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's worth highlighting what type one diabetes is and how it differentiates between type two diabetes. Can you give us a little bit of information on the differences between the two?
0: Yeah. Absolutely, and it's also National Diabetes Awareness Month, so I I appreciate you guys having me on. Um, But type 1 diabetes is an autoimmune condition, so my pancreas does not work at all. It will never work again. Um, It's basically where my body has attacked itself, and um, my pancreas does no longer function. And I basically have to be my own pancreas. So I have to take insulin in order for that, those carbohydrates that I eat to be converted into energy. So it's so crucial to have that energy for, you know, everyday life and training and just being the best athlete that I can be. And also just living a long, healthy life. um, So I don't have complications in the future, you know, just complications from organ damage to losing my eyesight, all those things are real. They can happen over time if I don't take care of my diabetes. So thankfully I have a continuous glucose monitor. And I say this, that it's almost like an SRM for my body. Like, you know, it's hard to like keep your blood sugars at a perfect number, but like, yeah, it's hard to keep like, I don't 150 Watts, right. Just like steadily. They're always just fluctuating a bit. And that's really what, what my, uh, Glucose graph always shows. So it's it's always it's always moving depending on you know elevation or like how I'm feeling with stress or anything. So it's similar to a power meter. And so I also take injections. So I take insulin. Um, I take a long-acting insulin, a fast-acting insulin. So I'm always I'm always just mindful of things that I eat too and how they affect my blood sugars. But really the number one thing with with diabetes is exercise, and that's what's really helped me with my blood sugars and knowing too, when I get to a race and I'm stressed out, like my cortisol levels, you know, go up. And so I have to take, you know, I do have to take insulin and just always monitor. Where type two is, is more lifestyle. Um, that is also genetic, both are genetic, but two is more lifestyle too, um, from diet to exercise, where the pancreas pretty much stops working, um, but it can work again if the lifestyle changes change.
1: And you said something I mean that's a super interesting way of putting it uh, and, and SRM I think obviously yeah. our listeners will probably be able to to uh, relate to that pretty well so you said like you became nervous about you know continuing to compete and like you know obviously everything's a little bit questioning here and then and then your doctor sort of said you never you know you're never going to be able to compete at a high level again um I'm interested to hear like you know I know it was a few years I guess before you really got got back to that top level or decided to kind of give it a big push. Can you sort of tell us about what motivated you, I guess what happened in those interim years and then eventually what motivated you after college to to kind of get, you know, pursue cycling um, as a career and the Olympic Games?
0: Yeah, so I'll kind of backtrack. So much happened in between then. I just wanted to get back on the bike and... It just always made me really happy. I've gotten to see the world on my bike, and it's taken me to some really cool places. So I just wanted to get back on the bike and just see how it goes. My dad was really supportive. Our relationship grew stronger. Two, he started to ride more with me. And if you know the name Willie Altick, his his brother Rudy Altick. So they've been in my life since I was young, and my dad and him are best friends, Willie and him. And so just like having those positive people in my life, and Willie was just always so supportive and supported me from day one that I was just like going to see how it goes. And I was like, I really just want to compete at German nationals again. So like I said, I competed at German nationals before um, I was diagnosed. And then I was like, I want to do it again. So I did a year later and I actually won bronze in the same event, the 500 meter time trial. So without diabetes and now with having diabetes. And from there, it kind of showed me that there's a lot of mindset and also a lot of just discipline that comes along with it. Just learning more about my body. And I'm still learning a lot about it. And what affects my blood sugar is it's day to day and it always changes, but I just became more open to it and I accepted my diagnosis and I just wanted to continue just to be the best athlete that I can be and get my diabetes under control, knowing that then I can focus better in school because my math grades weren't so great either because I just had trouble focusing too because my blood sugars were all over the place. And I just noticed as I was more taking more precaution of my blood sugars and my diabetes, just my health in general, um, what I ate and finding all those things. I worked with a nutritionist. um, I decided like I want to move back to Florida and finish my last year of high school at South Plantation High School in Florida. And um, start looking for colleges, and I really wanted to go to Penn State Lehigh Valley. It was, I only applied to one school because I'm like I want to go there, and I knew I wanted to be at a village room. And I got accepted, and I came up here, and I lived in an apartment on my own at 18 already, and it was no different from when I was 16 living on my own. My parents. Just yeah, they were always so supportive. I never wanted to let them down either. or Just you know, take advantage of the situation. I was just like always, just so thankful and grateful that they were providing me these opportunities. And um, I just knew that I, if I wanted to race and have results and focus in school and have good grades, like I needed to take care of my diabetes and. Um, yeah, it was there too that when I'm in 2010, there's a lot of changes. I moved to Penn State, you know, I moved up to go to Pennsylvania Valley. I lived off campus because they don't have dorm rooms. I didn't go to the Commonwealth campus, the main campus. Um, I went to the smaller campus and I did all four years there. But it was in 2010 that I met um, Phil Sutherland and I joined Team Nova Nordis. So we're the first, world's first all diabetes professional cycling team, which back then we were a mix of. People with diabetes and and people who aren't living with diabetes. So it was just so neat to meet so many cool people. I was like, this is the coolest thing to be in a room that is outnumbering the people that don't have diabetes. <laughs> it was just so neat, um, and that pretty much changed my life and my view.
2: I mean, it, normal athletes have so many important decisions to make on a daily basis, centered around training, nutrition, recovery. And that's just on the bike stuff, not, you know, are your bills getting paid or your dogs getting fed, etc. But with athletes that have type one diabetes, you have upwards of 300 extra decisions that you have to make on a daily basis. Is this something that you've just kind of dealt with and become accustomed to? Or it just seems like so much to think about just the constant monitoring of your insulin levels and your, your energy and your blood sugar. Give us a little bit of an idea of, of what that is, what, what that feels like to have to make that many more important decisions compared to the other athletes.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I'm glad that you asked me that. I, I, I think it's, it's one of those things that of course, honestly, I wish I didn't have it. It's just, it's so it's 24 seven, but it's something that I've just accepted and it took me a long time to accept. And You know i knew that if i wanted to compete at this level of my sport my health needed to be a priority and so you know joining the team has given me the opportunity to really accept and meet more people living with type one and that's what it's been it's been a community um people having those discussions i think that's it's really helped me and seeing other people living with it and and kind of getting some knowledge from them and learning and just being open to that. Um, I was definitely, I went through a denial stage where I wasn't taking insulin. And, you know, it was just, it was in the beginning and it was only hurting myself. So I knew there that if I really wanted to, to get my diabetes under control, I just had to own it. And it's one of those things that of course people you know, they look at me and they're like, "I don't, it doesn't, you don't know, look like you have diabetes." But it's it's one of those things that's that's where awareness comes in. And and um, you know, I was obviously, I mean, I was ignorant to it. I didn't, I thought I did it to myself, right? So it didn't happen like that. And I think just um, you know, it's kind of cool being able to meet other people with diabetes and young kids, them seeing like, "Oh wow, like you're you're doing this at this level," or their parents seeing it like it's possible. So it's been really neat in this journey. To, to have those opportunities and those outlets to meet people. And it's definitely inspired me to continue to keep going because I didn't have those conversations when I was first diagnosed. And so it's one of those, even with people living with other conditions, like um, anything else that, you know, just to, to own it and be able to, to talk about it. I know it's not always easy, but once you accept it, I think that's, you know, and also knowing where you want to go and you have, you know, some small goal set and some big goal set, it's just, it's motivating yeah, I've just been able to take more of a priority with my health too. I've learned what foods affect my blood sugars. You know, I've learned also just to have more energy on the bike, just to, you know, just to have something to to monitor and, and keep me accountable too, because it's, it's, yeah, it's, it's hard. This journey is definitely hard. And I will say it's been worth it. Also just meeting people from USA Cycling to other athletes around the world. You know, they don't see me, oh, that girl with diabetes. I want to be known as like, that's an awesome bike racer. Oh, she has diabetes too. I mean, definitely don't want my whole persona to be like, oh, she's, yeah, like I said, diabetic. But um yeah, it's just a part of who I am. But I've always been a bike racer way before I was even living with diabetes. So I just hope to to reach more people and doing that with my team and sharing that message of, of hope and inspiration. Cause really as simple as it is, it's, it's really what I needed when I was diagnosed and I didn't have it. And now that I do have it in my life, it's definitely helped.
2: Yeah. I Phil Sutherland, uh, the CEO and co-founder of team Novo Nordisk. Uh, I, I called him because I, I know him and, and he had nothing but really, really great things to say about about you, but how long have you been with Team Norvo Nordisk, and and what s- sort of support have they been able to provide over what about a decade, right?
0: Yeah, it's been a decade, and that's Phil is awesome. He's he's done so many great things for the diabetes community, the cycling community. He just has this awesome energy and vision, and he's really just drove us all to to really having that support system and and really changing diabetes because before I'm like, I didn't know what my life looked like. And he's really helped me to really see that it's possible to be at this level competing for my country and representing the team at this level. And yeah, I'm just really grateful for him and the team to provide these opportunities and support get to ride a sweet colonago. And, you know, it's like all these awesome things that of course come with representing the team, but it's just, it's more than that. And, you know, the team has been team Nova Nordisk and for 10 years I mean, before it was team type one, but team Nova Nordisk are, you know, is the, the team still the same mission and we're really grown to be a big family that, you know, it's, we're doing what we love and inspiring people and, honestly it's 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 so genuine and I just being able to be in this sometimes I'm like wow like do I really deserve to be here and if I look back at it like you know I definitely have to give myself credit and in knowing that it's not just been me and I think the entire cycling community and the team because I haven't been able to do it alone and I wouldn't be here and knowing so much about myself and and the resources that I'm thankful to have to manage my diabetes and to be able to compete at this level and hopefully representing my country next year at the Olympic games would definitely be the pinnacle of my athletic career. And it was just And 2021 is the 100th year of the discovery of insulin. It's just like, are those, you know, in ways I'm like, are the stars aligning? Or, you know, sometimes I'm like, I feel like my life has always made a detour. Like, I'm like, why isn't it sometimes just working out where I'm like, I go to the race and I have a great result. And sometimes it has worked out, but I've definitely failed more than I've succeeded. And it's just, you know, even though I'm like frustrating sometimes, but I know that I've been consistent and eventually it will pay off.
1: And yeah, on on that, right, you, you, you just sort of said that 2021, obviously, the Olympic Games were derailed. I'm kind of – before we get to talking about reaching that that kind of dream, I'm really interested to know you get on Team Nova Nordisk, like how do you then like, you know, you take the step to start competing internationally and when do you sort of start realizing like, hey, even though I have type 1 diabetes, I can actually do this and be really good?
0: It was when I came up here for school in 2010 to Pennsylvania Valley It was important for me to finish all four years. and I did collegiate cycling, which was a blast. So if anybody listening, collegiate cyclists, do it. It's awesome. And then after you graduate, I'd say, you know, that's when I focused on my cycling career to really make a career out of it. And thankfully, I had that support from the team, my parents, you know, so and also building that community with Penn State and having a great support system and letting finding other sponsors and outlets to share your story. I think that's so important. I think everybody has some way to connect. And that's where I found, like, I really wanted to start competing at an international level, but I wasn't sure when. So when I graduated in May of 2014, I went to Colorado Springs for a camp, and I was there for a couple of months. And then they said, you know, two weeks before, do you want to compete at a World Cup? And I was like, sure, yeah, that'd be great. Like, I'd love to, but I've never... Honestly, other than racing in Germany, I've never competed internationally. I just actually, a year and a half ago in 2013, that, you know, that year, like I made the switch from endurance to sprint too, because I wasn't doing well on the road with endurance cycling. I just, I have a bigger build and I just was more of like a powerful explosive athlete. And I didn't really know a lot about sprinting on the track, but I came across a coach here locally that did some testing and said, you know, seeing your numbers, you'd be a great sprinter and so that's andrew harris now here he has one of the best development and track programs i think and personally i i, I know he does in the u.s um and uh he's such an awesome coach andrew harris so definitely a shout out to him because he's opened so many opportunities in my head like to know that it's possible and that was just a new adventure again like all right here i'm starting sprinting at about 20 a little late because a lot of the juniors that he trains are a little younger but, you know, here I go again with a new adventure and just started sprinting A year and a half later, I compete at World Cup and I get totally just smashed. I'm like, this is so hard. I'm racing in and all these amazing racers. And just, I was like, can I even do this? <laughs> like, is this really for me? Um, and it just took, honestly, so much persistence, like years, probably from 2014 to now. Like, it's probably taken four years to really get to this level where I'm actually... Finally breaking through, you know, qualifying really well too. Just this past season has been one of the best seasons I've ever had. And it's like finally, like my work has paid off, but it's taken so long. And I'm, but that's the sprinting part of it. There's, you know, just like training, but sprinting specifically takes so many years of power to build with you know, gym strength foundation to like learning how to be like, I have fast switch muscle, but like learning how to convert that and tactics. Oh my God. Talk about tactics on the track with sprinting. So I've won a lot of races too, with just tactics and watching a lot of videos and there's just, it's so technical, the sprinting. And I just, I love that part of it and just being so involved in my training with my coach. But yeah, I mean, for years I was even, I was just, I didn't know whether, you know, USA cycling would continue to support the sprint program because we weren't really having results, but they continue to do it, knowing that me, you know, that we were, you know, looking greater, far beyond, and I'm so glad they did, and this year, you know, we started then breaking through with Pan American Championships, and winning UCI races here in T-Town, and, and yeah, I was just like, this is fun, not that it wasn't fun, but I'm like, oh, I, like, I love, I love the racing aspect of the sprinting, and of course, there's not a lot of have you know, room for era too in sprinting, which I thought was so cool. So yeah, I just love the sprint event because it's like one-on-one and you know, there's a lot of body language and like knowing the rider and the other opponent so it's not just like you know like the road and criterion stuff that I did it was just so much different and I, I loved it how dynamic it was. and um, yeah, it's it really cool season. I mean um, in 2016 actually we were named to the long team. Um, I was named to the long team and we didn't qualify as a nation the Olympic qualification is a crazy process. It's two years long and I won't get into it too much, but it's two years and it's very extensive. Um, So I knew I was just breaking through the international stage and I didn't want to. um, Yeah. I was just like, okay, like, this is what it's like. At least I was getting an idea of what it's like to compete at this level. And then I said, okay, I want to focus on the next four years, obviously two years of race experience in 2016, uh, 2016 to 2018 and then 2018 really the olympic uh selections of uh, olympic quota stuff started to happen so you know our world cups world championships pan-american championships all go towards olympic qualification so i don't want to get too boring and rant on about it but it's just it's just about consistency and then this past year it was one of my best seasons where i finished ninth overall in the world cup standings um, a couple top tens was fourth and one, so close to the podium, but you know, um, I didn't get a podium this year and that's okay. Um, you know, it's just kind of meant to like maybe build me up for something bigger. Who knows? But I really wanted a podium and my career's not over. So yeah, it's just the process.
2: I mean, cycling is all about dealing with the highs and lows, the peaks and the valleys. And it sounds like you know, going over to the World Cups and competing at that international level. It's just a constant kind of roller coaster of, of emotion, questioning your own ability, you know, morale, the, the whole nine yards. But talking about the Olympics, I understand that it's your dream to represent Team USA in the Olympics, but tell us more about what that would really mean to you not only as a sportswoman but being a part of that Olympic movement moving forward.
0: When I was young I never really pictured the Olympics. I just knew I wanted to be my best and we'll see how far that would have gotten me. And here I am now knowing that I'm so close and that I've just you know I've enjoyed the journey that it's not just about that end result um that I've enjoyed the journey those friendships those times that I've just buried myself in every workout um you know just the double training days that whole process like I love that and you know training too amongst my teammates here with edge cycling they're younger too and you know just being able to inspire them and they push me and some of the male riders maybe in their early 20s like it's so cool to be able to spar with them and And really make them better and they've made me better in a lot of ways just to have that that camaraderie and that that team really cycling has taught me a lot about team and i haven't been able to do it alone even though sprinting can be a lonely world but um yeah and just knowing too that i've been true to myself this entire time um with you know clean sport too and and doing it the right way doing it with integrity doing it you know with pure just joy and passion Um, and just knowing that I've gotten this far that's just taken a lot of time and and patience of course sometimes I'm like I'm 29 I haven't made it to the Olympics yet and I've been an athlete all my life but if I look at it like you know why put an age to it and I worked so hard and knowing that you know my time will come at some point and knowing that I've I've given back to the sport in in a lot of ways and I'm not finished yet. And there's a lot of things too with why I've launched my website and my logo recently. And we were talking about the peaks and the highs and lows. Like that's, that's all that's, that's, I want to continue to, to give back in ways, but as an athlete, it's hard because you're so focused on, you know, just training and, and putting everything in that. So your, your brain's not sometimes functioning, but yeah, I'm just trying to at least do things now too, while I'm an athlete, so later on too, I can help more people, and and that to me is like I wake up every day and I'm inspired um, by a lot of people that have helped me. So yeah, I mean it's there's a lot of different reasons why, but ultimately too to you know because I know that I've worked really hard to to get to that point, and man, that'd be what a cool feeling. So
2: well, uh, just to interject a little person personal story into your olympic uh dream. I I missed the olympics in 1992. I missed the olympics in 1996. I missed the olympics in 2000 and then finally at the age of 32 I made the olympics in 2004. And so just just never say never. I mean you said you're you're 28 now? 20 29? 29, 29 years old. Um I as long as you keep dealing with those peaks and valleys uh, that Olympic dream is always there because honestly, I really thought that I would never get to the Olympics. And then right at the end of my career, I was able to do so. And it was probably my, it, yes, it was my most memorable experience of my entire cycling career. So keep- I'm sure keep-
0: all that, like all those years, like that you tried and tried and in that year that you did make it, you're like, it will all and happen for a certain reason
2: yeah you you already mentioned that yourself, like are all the stars are aligning and i I really felt like it was, and I kept thinking in the back of my mind that something's gonna happen uh I'm gonna be removed from the team or somebody's gonna qualify above me, so I didn't really consider myself an Olympian until I got on that plane to go to Athens, and once I landed there. Man, I just embraced the entire Olympic spirit. I was changing pins with people, meeting yeah. people. I mean, I really just basked in the opportunity of being there. Quite a few of my teammates that were there, they had been to two, three, or four Olympics already. And I had been to one and I said, Okay, this is this is it. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do everything that I always thought I would do. And it was it was a phenomenal, phenomenal experience. So
0: Ceremonies, Because that's always like a controversy of like being on your feet.
2: (laughs) Uh, We did not get to do the opening ceremonies because cycling road events always seem to be that first event. Mm -hmm. So I have pictures of us sitting out on our balcony watching all the, the athletes get loaded into the buses and then we had to watch it on TV. So, yeah, that was that was quite a bummer. And then we didn't get to do the closing ceremonies because you would have had to stay there for another another 2 weeks but right. um you know meeting being in the olympic village and and seeing the other athletes meeting other athletes from totally different sports different countries we actually had a competition of like who could get the the coolest pin from different <laughs> countries and it got very competitive there at the beginning some of the guys were like oh you know it's not that big of a deal but once i had my Collar with my credential on it, kind of starting to stack up with the pins, kind of like a, um, like, I like a, Chloe
0: Dyer. She's so competitive too. I, I know with her pins, like she's very,
2: oh, I took it serious. I took it serious. But I must say, the most unique pin was, um, I believe Levi Leipheimer got it from one of the two athletes from that were representing Iraq. He bird-dogged this poor guy for probably five days and finally got the pin. So if there was a competition, I think he won the competition for the coolest, most unique pin. I hope you have the opportunity to do that because it, it, it is really fantastic. Let's move on a little bit to recent results. You have recently set a, an unofficial record for the, for the kilo. Does this change any of your focus on the events that you would like to compete in in the future? You know, I mean, that's a fine balance between being a sprinter and then the endurance track program, which, I mean, if you can do that in the kilo, that's kind of moving towards that endurance side of of the track program. Or do you feel that that's basically interchangeable between what you do with the sprinting right now?
0: So it is officially official. Um, Yeah, it was confirmed. Um, about a month ago, maybe, but it, it really was important to me that it was official when it is through the right testing. You know, you it came, um, right away after I finished the event to my house and there was bike check and everything. So I just made sure all the boxes were checked. I wasn't making a big deal out of it. I just wanted to make sure when that, you know, that record day came that national, um, that I was going for the kilo that at least like everything was in place. Cause I'd, attempted it the year before after racing and I broke it but it wasn't official because I didn't have USADA come test me and I didn't know that within 24 hours they could still come test you but um yeah so you live and learn and I knew that I was if I was going to go after it again I wanted to make sure all the everything was in place and so I remember that day it being so windy and I honestly thought because the the official record was from Kelly Caitlin. So my former teammate think about her a lot and how much she's inspired me. We were roommates a lot at, at uh, Pan Ams and, and worlds and yeah. And she was so strong. So it was one of those that I was doing it for her. And I also wanted to see what I was able to do. It was just this, this combination that fueled me. And I remember the half, last half lap I literally thought it was going to be a 115 or something. I was like, this is going to be so slow. And it was because it was so windy that day and it was outdoors. I did it in drops. I didn't do it in aero bars because I like my teammates were giving me a hard time about it because the guys did it in their drop, um, their aero bars. And I was like, no, I don't know. I've been training like when we do 500s and stuff like in drops, like what's the point? Anyway, so I remember getting a thumbs up from my coach. That's all I wanted knowing that, you know, thumbs up if I beat it. And then I hear 108 and I'm like, no way, <laughs> like what? So I don't know. I'm like, I really surprised myself. I just, I was like, not expecting that. I was at least like targeting a 110, but um, yeah, I just, it was such a cool feeling. Um, and I, all I could do is just like, thank my coach and for him just like believing in me. And it was just so cool. Like just with everything going on in the world and, you know, there are some days I'm like, why am I, why am I doing this? And then I remember like, why am I doing it? and um yeah when you when you mention you know the sprint and kind of it being an endurance event i think it's a mix of both really the sprint has changed so much to go in a, through an entire sprint tournament you could be racing nine times it is so hard um to just be on like that all the time the whole day so i'd say you do need a lot of endurance for sprint too and um it's just different in many ways like physiologically and just you know there's so many different variables but i'd say it's a, definitely a mix at worlds you'll see a lot of the the men doing the kilo they don't have it officially as a women's event even though i'd i'd love to i'd love to see that and um love to see that happen but um yeah the, the men are maybe pretty much the, the top 3 at worlds were all the dutch and they're all the sprinters so really it's more of a sprint event but also some of the endurance riders are you know, pretty strong enough to do that. So can't really pinpoint it, but um yeah, I mean, I just I have a lot of respect for the event. It's definitely a brutal event. But uh I just I kinda I kinda enjoyed it. <laughs> but um yeah, it's just uh who knows like what can what doors can open from there. But I think just, you know, being able to to attempt it in this year too in this challenging year and for Kelly and and just for myself and yeah, it just shows that consistency personally and that I'm on the right track. So even though there's been some detours here and there, so.
1: What now in terms of making the Olympic team, like everything got pushed back. I'm interested, what sort of hoops do you have to sort of jump through? You know, obviously you've got an official uh, US record now in the kilo. Uh, I'm wondering, yeah, like what does the timeline sort of look like if there is anything specific, if it's still really up in the air? Because um, these sort of, selection processes are kind of you know a little bit nebulous to i think a lot of a lot of our listeners
0: yeah so i mean going for that record really i i don't know if it really helps me i just wanted to do it um and to have three national records um too, and and um yeah it's you know to add that on and it's been yeah it's been just just consistency um not saying like that this record doesn't do anything but it just shows you know that like i i am putting in the work and that i am building towards something bigger um you know i'm i wasn't a really heavy training block when i did that too so that made me really confident and happy i just wasn't as explosive like we had i had the 200 that day too and i just wasn't as explosive um and snappy but i felt like i had just long sustained power And obviously that, that kind of happens when you're suppressed in the gym. Like you, you're not as snappy and quick. So obviously my 200 meter got a hit, but um, I definitely have that, that strength endurance. So, you know, to me, it's like looking at like where I'm at in my training and building for something bigger. Um, And it's hard to say what's next. Really the big goal is the Olympics, but you know, I'm hoping that we're going to, we're going to have some races in between that. Maybe if there's a nation's cup now, because they changed the whole, Olympic qualification for next time, but, um, yeah, supposedly worlds are in Turkmenistan, I think (laughs) that's how you pronounce it. But yeah, we have to be one of the nation's cups, um, to qualify for Worlds. So I'm hoping there will be some good racing as far as selection. Um, you know, they announced the long team, so they'll be picking the final team from there. And it's really just to continue, you know, to put in the work and knowing, you know, all the results that I have put in, um, you know, just are contributing to, you know, qual- we, you know, that's contributed to also qualifying a spot for, for uh, the America, you know, America for uh, the Sprint. So, you know, there's 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 selections that still need to be made as far as them looking at all the results and and hoping you know to take an account to like, uh, you know, some of the future racing and yeah it's really hard to say what exactly it's just there's so many still unknowns um but uh yeah, I mean they're you know they're continuing to keep us in the loop, and you know they announced the long team, so that's that's um really encouraging. I know some of the other countries they've already announced their final teams and and which I'm like dang, like that'd be cool um you know to know and to kind of have some security um like you know just you know just to know what you're really training for um but yeah, I mean, I guess it's a process and um, hopefully, you know, internally we'll have some better updates too. So, yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to, to going to Colorado Springs for a camp and get some training because it's getting colder here. So, um, yeah, I'm excited to have the opportunity to go and train in Colorado Springs and continue the build for whatever that will be.
2: Can't be easy. Can't be easy. I mean, athletes, especially, I can tell you're a very objective, goal oriented woman. And I feel sorry for all the athletes that don't have that objective, that set date. But with USA Cycling, are they, are you participating in objective? qualifications or do you guys train together as a team you mentioned that you you train by yourself or you know you have your setup there in 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 t-town how does that all come together with so much uncertainty and so many people being spread all over and and maybe not being able to travel
0: yeah that's a hard question it's really i am not really sure i just know that i'm here putting in the work i'm sharing my training peaks data with the coaches you know i'm just staying connected Justing, you know, motivated, knowing too that, you know, I do hope to continue. I'm still pretty young, so, you know, just knowing that I'm still building you know, towards towards other goals as well, while you know, really pinpointing the Olympics and Tokyo being that goal next year. But yeah, it's it's definitely hard that we're all spread out. Definitely wish that there were times that we were all training together more, but you know, it's, it is cool when we get to come together and that's, what's going to happen. And we get to train together and we're going to be in that Olympic training center quarantine bubble. Um, so I'm looking forward to it and knowing that this is all just, you know, part of the journey and, um, you know, in many ways it's been challenging, but also it's, it's shown me too, like kind of giving me this opportunity of a a bonus year to keep training. And, And there's, I've honestly, ever since I started sprinting in 2013 but racing world cups in 2014 I haven't been home this long in six years like this is awesome and I'm not like oh yeah days on the couch like okay some days when I like my rest my rest but I'm like this has been a great time to honestly put in the work and just bury myself in training and get in a good gym block like finally I'm getting my seeing my gym numbers increase where I'm not it's not being you know not being um um, smushed down by training and getting ready for a race or something or so it's actually been awesome to just like have this time and like I'm kind of catching up with my training too because it's like it's hard to travel race and train and and train as a sprinter it's just there's so many wow, there's so many variables like like diabetes right so you just you take it and you go with it and you make the best out of it but I am just so happy to have had this time.
1: And you've got a huge goal coming up uh, obviously next year but you've had some remarkable results um, over your career, you know, 18 US titles, you've won, I think, 10 UCI events on the track. That's that's amazing. I'm interested to to hear from you up to this point. And I mean, it may not even be a result, but what's been your most memorable moment in the sport over, over the years?
2: It's
0: hard to pinpoint exactly what, but I love racing here in T-Town. All the internationals come and race. And it's really fun because, yeah, you're racing, but then you're like, you're mingling and you, you know, you put your helmet on, it's like go time, but you know, it's just been cool to like have, make those friendships and have those friendships. And when I go to world cups, it's, you know, it's game time, but then, you know, it's nice to be at dinner and be like, Hey, like, how have you been? And just catch up. And I just, I think that's so neat too. You know, it's like, it's hard to always be like, so laser focused. Like, of course there are times for that, but I think it's important. Like I always said to like have a balance. Um, and I'll just say, I've learned a lot. Like I've, you know, I've never just been like this, this way, I've just learned by just, you know, through the whole process of the just years of being an athlete, um, and years of, you know, having diabetes, like my mindset's just changed. And I've learned to just own it and like, enjoy the journey. There are obviously, you know, with all these results, like I look back and I'm like, I'm so I'm proud of them. But it took me a long time to say I'm proud of them, because I was like, oh, I could be better. Oh, it could be could be this way. It could be better. Or now I'm like, not ready yet. Like, I want something bigger. But I know this is all just part of the journey and part of being an athlete because you're, you know, you're, you're hard on yourself in a lot of ways. But it's also important to give yourself some credit sometimes. And I've learned to just um, embrace that a little bit more. And, um, you know, a lot of people can associate like, you know, results with like ego or like social media with ego. But I try to use like my platform to be just inspirational and inspire other people and just kind of take them along the journey with me and I enjoy it too I mean it was my major in school business management marketing and I'm getting to utilize my degree and um, hopefully just make a difference um, in some way too while you know being on this journey to some sort of destination at some point (laughs) but you know it never ends there's always something
1: before you go you mentioned a little earlier but the logo I'm interested to to hear about that because I know you did mention it before and there's I think there's quite a bit tied up in that so do you want to kind of give us the story of that
0: yeah and Bobby you pretty much hit it too with saying you know the sport with the highs and lows and the peaks and the valleys that's pretty much what like my logo represents too there's some diabetes puns to it you know we are greater than our highs and lows blood sugars go high and low Life goes high and low, but I also wanted to be something subtle. So the, my initial is MM, kind of look like little peaks, valleys, mountains, and it's blue. Really, that's the signature color of it, but um, the World Diabetes logo is blue, and that's pretty much blue is that color. So I really wanted to stick with that, and uh, my agency that I work with, they helped me create this logo and really brought it to life. And uh, really excited to have their support. They just you know launched my website too, and we'll have merchandise coming soon. That's going to launch actually for um, World Diabetes Day on November 14th. So I'm really excited for that, and hope to see some young kids wearing that. And and uh, just yeah, I just it's just I know it's pretty cool to see it all kind of come to life. And and I would like you know part of the proceeds that are going to go to a nonprofit. So I'm trying to give back too um, with that logo. And I didn't want it to be like screaming, Mandy Markwart. I, you know, I wanted to to kind of tell a story and have people connect with it. And um, it's been a great journey so far. And it's I haven't been able to do it alone.
2: Well, Mandy, it's been an absolute pleasure having you on, and especially being November and you know special month for the National Diabetes Month. It's great to have you on. We wish you all the best in your Olympic dream and hopefully um you'll be able to come back on and tell us about it after um after you you ob- obtain that that goal in the future.
0: I'd love to. And I do want to mention you guys are doing like an awesome awesome thing. You're highlighting all these incredible riders from different disciplines, which I think is so cool. And you just recently highlighted Jeffrey Greg Lamont's son. and I just think the variety is so neat. When you asked me to be on here, I was like, "Oh my god, I have big sheets to fill." So no, this is so cool and I'm so glad to have met you both and you have so much history in the sport and just really appreciate you you know reaching out and and giving me this opportunity to chat with you guys and hopefully we'll have future conversations as well so thank you
1: mandy it's uh it's athletes like you that make the sport interesting
2: so you know the pleasure is all ours And there we have it. That's all we have time for this week. Hope you enjoyed this episode. And thanks again to Mandy Marquat from Team Novo Nordisk for joining us. You can find all our past episodes, as well as a ton of other fantastic cycling journalism over at VeloNews.com. Please subscribe at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Spotify, or whatever your favorite go-to podcast site may be. Just search for Put Your Socks On or Fizzo, P-Y-S-O. Please continue to show your support by subscribing to this program and please spread the word by telling your friends about us.
1: You can reach out to us on social media at thatisgus or at bobby.julik. Both of those are on Instagram. Get in touch with us, suggestions, feedbacks, anything else uh, that's on your mind. Until next week, thank you very much for listening. I'm Angus Morton.
2: And I'm Bobby Julik, Thank you. Just reminding you to stay safe, stay sane, stay calm, And don't forget to put your socks on.